So tonight's reading is Genesis chapter 14, which is on page 15. Genesis chapter 14, starting at verse 17. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedoleomar, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet with him in the valley of Shavar, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their share. Thanks, Sarah. Let me, let me pray for us briefly as we come to look at that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word written for us uh, to encourage us and help us and draw us closer to the Lord Jesus, to trust him and live for him. Please, would you do that work in us now? Uh, we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, well, all of us, all of us occasionally uh, daydream. I'm sure you do. Meant to be doing one thing, mind-wandering on something else, but spare a thought for the more habitually distracted who walk this world with us. Uh, this was a story from the BBC website I came across. A Taiwanese tourist on holiday in Melbourne, Australia, uh, checking her mobile phone while she walked along, engrossed in status updates, uh, didn't notice uh, that she'd walked onto St. Kilda's Pier, happily sending messages, didn't notice the end was approaching. And I can only imagine my feelings of unreadiness uh, caused by daydreaming were nothing compared to hers as she took her final step on the solid ground of the pier and her first step onto the unsupported expanse of everything beyond that. Uh, checking in on her phone, she checked out of the pier uh, and it turns out she wasn't a very good swimmer. Uh, the good news, the good news was she was rescued and the Victoria State Police issued this statement saying, there will be no need for a lost property report as the woman kept hold of her mobile phone throughout the entire ordeal. The phone was okay. It's good news, isn't it? Now you think about that. You think about being distracted, distracted by your phone. And it's, it's a little bit serious, but it's a lot more funny, isn't it? But you, you think about, well, you think about living your life in a distracted way. And you think about the way you might live your life. Because there will come a moment, won't there? Uh, there will come a moment when we might be walking along, checking in on our mobile phones, and the very next moment we've checked out of life. Uh, there will come a moment, won't there, for all of us? 
There will come a moment when you and I take our last step on the solid ground of this life and the first step on the great expanse of everything uh, that is to come. And the question on that day will be, is there anything there to support you? Have you lived your life distracted and oblivious? Or have you stopped and looked and found something solid to give your life to? Those of you in your teenage years, uh, those of you younger, maybe just into the early 20s, you're, you're at the beginning of making big life choices. How are you going to live? What kind of person will you be? What will you give your life to? Those of us who are older, have you made those choices well? Or have you been distracted? And if you want to know what to give your life to, the step choices to make, then this part of Genesis, you've got open in front of you, please keep it open, is really helpful. Uh, Come and look at it with me. Just those few verses that Sarah read for us. In many ways, in many ways, this passage is like a postscript. Postscript to the passage that Matt showed us last week if you were here. That bit, if you weren't, you, you can go back and read it. That's all the exciting stuff, really, when you think about it. A battle between two sets of kings, four from the north, five from the south. And the southern kings included Bera, who was the king of Sodom. And Sodom, with her allies, was defeated. And the city was plundered. The wealth was carried off. But also in the mix of that with Sodom was a man called Lot, who'd been living in Sodom. And Lot was the nephew, as we've been reading through Genesis, Lot was the nephew of a man called Abraham. The man in Genesis 12 who'd been called by God to, to follow him, and God had promised to bless Abraham. And also one day, One day through Abraham, God was going to work out a plan to restore this sin-spoiled world, to fix everything in it. In the story of the Bible, there's a big moment in Genesis 12 when God makes a promise, and it's this man. And when Abraham heard that his nephew had been captured, he gathered the fighting men in his household, and along with some local allies, he went and did what the king of Sodom couldn't do. He defeated those northern kings, and rescued his nephew, and also along with him, he rescued the people and the plunder from Sodom. And in verse 17 that you've got there in front of you, he's just returned from the battle. That's where we are in the story. He's just come back. And he meets two kings. Bera, the king of Sodom, who we know, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who we've never even heard of before. And Abraham interacts with them both. And as you you read this little account, this little postscript, I think you begin to see what Abraham's doing with his life. And here's the first thing. Just as you look at this story, just look at Abraham giving away his life. I don't know if you've ever been given something extra. Have you ever got something extra? Every, Every month when I get my paycheck, I've done this for years, I always think, I wonder... I wonder if there's a little extra in. Maybe, maybe there'll be an extra five pounds slipped in. Never is. How is kind of optimistic that kind of way? I don't know if you've ever been given something extra. Maybe you found someone's cat. You've been given a reward. 
Maybe you've helped someone out uh, and they've sent you a little card, put a check inside it. You weren't expecting it, it was just a little extra, came your way. Or maybe something like this, my friend Peter, um, a really lovely guy. You know those people that are just very gentle. He's, he's quite a big man, he's tall and big, but he's just lovely and gentle. He's flying back from the States and at the check-in, he said to the lady behind the checkout, uh, check-in desk, I've got a bit of a bad back. Is there any chance if one of the seats by the door is free because it's got a little bit more leg room, um, could I be given one of those? He's just delightfully polite and gentle. I can imagine the way he would have asked. And he said the lady just was all flustered. She's busy and she barked back at him. Go and stand over there. Just wait there. You need to wait just now. And he stood feeling really awkward as everyone else came through the check-in. And finally she called him back over and said, there's no seats by the door. You just need to have an upgrade to business class. It's quite nice, isn't it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter saying, well, I don't really want an upgrade to business class. I just want a little bit more leg room in economy. Well, of course you can. That would be mad, wouldn't it? To get an upgrade like that. But you look at Abraham, verse 21, back from the battle. And the king of Sodom says to him, keep the goods for yourself. All the stuff, all the stuff he's rescued, keep the goods for yourself. And Abraham says, verse 23, I will accept nothing belonging to you. Not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. He's pretty emphatic. He gives it all up. And it's not even like the upgrade, is it? Because that's a chance thing. My friend Peter didn't deserve that in the least. It's not like that. Because in a sense, Abraham's entitled to, or at least to a big reward, because he's the one who fought the battle. He rescued it all, but but he gives it away. It seems a bit mad, doesn't it, when you think about it like that. But it's even more than that. If you come back to the end of verse 20, Abraham with Melchizedek. Because we read this line. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The tenth, that's kind of a specific number as you read through the Bible. It's sometimes called the tithe. A tithe, ten percent. And later in Israel's history, God would require his people to give a tithe at various times. There was a number of reasons for it with Israel as a nation for doing that. But at least one of them, one of the reasons was for them to say, look, I'll, I'll give this portion as a reminder to myself, an indication, a commitment that everything I have really belongs to you. We'll need some some money and livestock to live and support our family, but I'm going to give a 10%. Part of the reason is an indication, a, a commitment really, everything I have really belongs to you. And that's what Abraham's doing here. He's giving it all away. Even what he keeps, really, he's saying, will be at the disposal of someone else. So you look at Abraham in this story, 
In this little tagged-on story, a postscript to the exciting battle. And he says to one king, I don't want anything from you. And to the other, he says, I'm dedicating everything I have to what you stand for. So you look at Abraham giving away his life. And then you stop and think for a moment because here's you. Here's you here tonight on a Sunday evening. It's a quiet Sunday. It's the start of August. In many ways, it's a postscript kind of day, isn't it? It's tagged on to the end of the academic year. For many of you, all the real work's done. The exams are finished. The holidays have come. This is a, this is a postscript day tagged on the end. All the real work's done. All the big decisions made. It's just time to relax now. Except tonight. Here you are, and tonight's the night where God says to you, look at Abraham. Look at Abraham giving away his life. Look at him. Look at him giving away his life. Have you got anything? Have you got anything you'd give your life away to? Or are you just distracted? And you think about that and you keep looking because well, look at who Abraham's giving his life away to. Actually, start with a guy he doesn't want anything from. Bera, the king of Sodom. Uh, the more you listen to him, it's still a little incident, isn't it? The more you listen to him, you realize he's not that pleasant. He's a defeated king. He lost his people, he lost his possessions. And he meets Abraham straight from the battle. And he gives no refreshments, no thanks, no courtesy. In the original language, his speech is just six words. Verse 21 is kind of literally like this. Give me people, keep property yourself. It's little more than disdain for Abraham. Perhaps he's thinking, Abraham's maybe just a mercenary. He's just in it for the money. And I wonder, Abraham says a funny thing to him, doesn't he? I wonder if when Abraham says... He doesn't want anything so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I wonder if the reason Abraham says that is because he knows the way this guy operates. He's always looking to claim the glory for himself. Always thinks he's the center of things. Abraham's one of mine. Abraham's joined my gang. Abraham's one of my guys. Abraham's on my payroll. Abraham belongs to me. That kind of thing still happens today, doesn't it? It happens in friendship groups. It happens in workplaces. Christian friends from way back came to mind when I was reading this. Ken and his wife Fiona. I remember Ken telling me he was invited for a night out with some guys from work and they were going for a drink. That was fine. Ken went with them. And then as the evening went on, uh, the car went up to go to a strip club and Ken said he was heading home. And one of the senior men from work said, Ken, 
you wouldn't want me thinking you're a prude, so you better come with us. To which Ken said, being respected by you is not the most important thing in my life. And home he went. There are people like that, aren't they? There are people like that who think they'll call the shots for you. Bear is that kind of guy. Sodom's that kind of place. And you think about Abraham, you think about the way he will graciously, the way he's graciously helped them, rescued all the wealth, rescued all the people, helped them as far as he could, but he will not give away his life to them. But then Melchizedek. You see him in verse 18? Just look at him. See what we're told about him. Melchizedek, he's the... He's the king of Salem. That's probably Jerusalem as it was back then. And he's also, we're told he's also, as well as being a king, he's also a priest of God. When Israel, later on, Abraham's descendants, when Israel become a nation, they'll have kings and they'll have priests. But they'll be from different tribes. Kings weren't priests. Priests weren't kings. So this guy, Melchizedek, he's unusual. He's a bit special. And it's interesting here, isn't it? It gives us a little insight, even in the Bible, that outside of, even outside of Abraham, God has some people who know and trust him. And one of them is this king priest, Melchizedek. Now, we don't know much about him, but look at how he treats Abraham. He doesn't come to get, he comes to give. He brings out bread and wine. Now, don't feel underwhelmed by that. Some of you, some of you will be going home this evening, and the very least you'll be having is a glass of wine and some bread and cheese, probably. You think bread and wine, that's nothing that special. We'd have that. But don't feel underwhelmed. The, the staple food for ordinary people like you and me in those days would have just been bread and water. Bread and wine was the food of royalty. That's what Melchizedek's doing. And it's, it's probably a shorthand way of saying he brings out like a royal banquet. And then as a priest, he blesses Abraham. Now later in the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews reflecting on this story will tell us in this role of a priest, the greater person blesses the lesser person. And Melchizedek pronouncing God's blessing on Abraham, he's He's giving the seal of God's gracious favor. What kind of a person is Melchizedek as you meet him in this story? Well, he's God's appointed king who refreshes. And he's God's appointed priest who blesses. He's a king-priest from God who's able to declare Abraham... Abraham, by God's grace, you're in the right with him. You're in the right with him. You're under his blessing. And you're being given the benefits of royalty. He's treating you like a king. Abraham's being told, God has made you right with him and he's sending you a king who will serve you and refresh you. And Abraham says, I'll give you a tenth of everything. 
I'll give you a tenth of everything I've got. And you understand now what he means by that. You understand what he's saying. You're God, Melchizedek. The God who called me back in Genesis 12. The God who treats me like this. Who would send a priest to bless me and a king to serve and refresh me. You're God. I want to give away my life to him. I give a tenth now, but I want to dedicate everything to him. That's the step choice Abraham's reaffirming here. And it's the step choice he'll make through his whole life and off the end of it onto the great expanse of everything that's to come after. And you and me, here we are tonight. It's hot, isn't it? It's hard to concentrate. Mind's wandering on to all sorts of other things. Let's not be distracted. Stop and look at who Abraham's giving away his life to. And then you ask yourself the question, why is this story in the Bible? And I think among other things, it is to persuade us, to persuade you and me, but give your life away. Give your life away to the same God as Abraham. Those of you who are younger, you think about all the things you can do. And you'll make all sorts of choices. What will you give away your life to? Those of you who are younger, you sometimes hear older people saying things like, look, a bit of religion's fine, just don't be too full on. Don't, don't give your life away to Christianity in the church. I had family members who'd say things like that. And I never did, but I wish I'd asked. Okay, if that's what you're saying, tell me. What is it you're giving your life away to? Have you got anything? God's calling you. He's calling you just like Abraham to give your whole life to him, to live for him, to make that step choice. And you might think, well, I read this story and it's okay for Abraham, isn't it? It's okay for Abraham. He's got Melchizedek. God gave him like a super encouraging friend who was a priest and a king. A priest who could help him feel confident you're in the right with God. And a king, a king who would serve him and refresh him, treat him like royalty. If we had a friend like that, if we had our own Melchizedek, maybe I could do it. Maybe I could do it. Maybe then I could give my life away. You know how shadows work? Imagine you're walking down the street and you saw this shadow. You saw a man walking down and this shadow following him. What would you be looking for pretty quickly? It's obvious, isn't it? You'd be, you'd be immediately looking around, wouldn't you, and thinking, where's the giraffe? No, you wouldn't. You'd say, where's the elephant? You know how shadows work? Shadows give you an indication. They show you the shape of something. And it seems in the Old Testament, God does things like that. He gives things that are intended to work like shadows. The shadow is not the real thing. It's not the real thing, but it, it kind of shows you the shape of it. The shape of the real thing. And Melchizedek's like that. He gives the shape of someone else. Hundreds of years later, King David's writing Psalm 110 
speaks about a much greater king than himself. And he says this about this king to come. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You're not Melchizedek, but in some ways Melchizedek is a little bit like you. Melchizedek would have died. But David says there's another priest king who Melchizedek is a bit like a priest who encourages and blesses. A king who serves and refreshes. But this one will be better because he'll live forever. A priest king. A priest king who will come out to meet you not to get from you, but to give to you. A priest to tell you the way you can be right with God forever. To enjoy God's blessing. A king. A real king who will use all of his authority. All of his kingly authority to serve and refresh you. And it's no surprise when you get to the New Testament, the shadow is taken on a face and a name. And it's Jesus. He's the one. He's the one who's come out to meet you. Died a death for your sin. So you can be right with God. He's the King God's Son. The one who inhabited eternity. Eternally with the Father, enjoying everything that God is. And he comes to make you part of his family to treat you like royalty. And a God who treats you like this. My friends, here you are tonight, the postscripts of the year, the academic year, the summer. Just one of those days. A God who treats you like this. My friends, it's Jesus you're to give your life away to. And what are the step choices? Well, to trust him. To ask for his forgiveness. I mean, that's it really. That's what you do with a king like this. But what that trust looks like day to day. Things that begin to show our trust and commitment. With Abraham, he thought something about his possessions, didn't he? With his money, with those kind of things. And look, your money's yours to spend. Except we want to say, look, I want to live for God. Even with my money. Uh, that's why it's good to give some, isn't it? It's in part to teach ourselves. So I live with God, live for God with my money. It doesn't have to be 10%. It doesn't have to be a tithe like that. Those of you who are younger, teenagers, you get pocket money. Pound a month, pound a week. Giving into church. A step choice, really helpful. I want to live with God with my money. An overseas mission, I want to give a little bit of something to that. Those of us who are older, thinking about our money, not you have to give it. I want to live with God. I want to give away my life to Him. When you think about risks, Abraham went to rescue Lot. Barak, king of Sodom, thought he was in it for the money. That's not what Abraham was in it for. Not for what he could get out of it, but because it was a godly thing to do. It was a big risk, wasn't it? 
What about you? Would you take risks at living for this king? Give your life away to him. I'd love to say more about that. Our time's coming to an end, but how could you pray? How could you pray tonight? You're going to have a moment of quiet. Steve's going to come back up and lead us in a second. Maybe the prayer you could just pray is, Lord God, thank you that this is the way you are. This is the way you treat me. You've sent a king to meet me who's a priest who will bless and a king who will refresh me. And I want to give my life away to him. I want to live for him. In a moment, we're going to remember that king, the king who comes and provides a meal for us that reminds us of all that he's done. Maybe that'd be a good prayer to pray yourself. So let's have a moment of quiet. You can just be still with your own thoughts and pray yourself, and then Steve will come and lead us.